You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Uncivil Outlaw. Chapter 3. New Developments. Wilson was ahead of us, agently behind. She was not engaging in combat and had hold of Abigail's arm as we hurried onward, only for Lee to be snatched back by three savagely brutal women with straw-coloured hair. Fucking celestial bitch! Lee was very nearly stabbed in the neck with a bowie knife, but she gripped the wrist that thrust towards her, moved out of the way and guided it along its course into the shoulder of one of the other women, who bellowed in pain. More knives were coming out and Lee struggled to redirect each thrust, twisting her body within the cloak she was wearing to make it harder to find a place to stab. Four men had closed in and Wilson, who had hold of my shoulder, managed to take one of them out with his rifle. I called for aid as Silent Company turned their attentions this way. Suddenly, Lee was down and the two remaining women were on top of her. One had a hand to her throat and raised a cruel knife to strike a killing blow. I held fast to Abigail's glove but she pulled out of it to help Lee and charged him with a haymaker, flooring the woman on top. (coughs) Lee tripped the other with her nimble legs, lashing in and snapping her neck. Abigail extended her naked hand to help the agent up. Cap, please don't endanger yourself. I cried out as the gunfire began to subside. He's right. You can afford to lose me. I'm not standing back. That cruel knife I had just seen arced up from the ground, impacting in Abigail's side just below the ribcage. I felt a surge of raw, untethered fear, picturing the blade slicing through muscle and stomach lining, damaging her in ways I could not fix. There was a brief blue flash like steel sparking, and Abigail roared and punched the woman who had stabbed her, finally successfully knocking her unconscious. She examined the damage, a strange look on her face. Are you all right? Lee cried. Did it pierce your armor? Uh, Looks like... No. Abigail croaked, clutching at her side. Uh, I'm not bleeding. A shape emerged from the woods, screaming one word. Abigail had just enough time to see a man with a straw-coloured beard swing his jagged axe directly into her back. She screamed in pain and fury. My blood ran cold as time slowed, and Abigail crumpled. That blue flash sparking out again as I cleared the distance between us, snatched up the fallen cruel knife and lunged it into the distracted man's right eye. Through his frontal lobe, Agent Lee had picked up a bowie knife and thrust that into his heart. The three of us hung together. As Abigail fell, I could detect spasms of shock and pain ripple through him as his strength ebbed away. He gurgled and slumped as his final breath escaped him, rising as steam into the night. I held the knife inside his head, lowering along with him to ensure his total expiration. I was shaking, shallow at first, but eventually with abominable tension. She was dead. She was... Easy, Doc. Abigail knelt beside me and touched a hand to my shoulder. You're back, I panted, as Agent Lee withdrew the bowie knife from the corpse I was holding. Wilson was behind me now, prompting me to my feet. All around I could see the fallen shapes of these unfortunate wretches slumped in crystalline crimson splashes in the merciless snow at the deep north of the world.
White finished lopping off a final extremity and flung his blade out sideways, shaking the blood away. He cleaned its surface on the coat of one of his headless defeated and dried it with his own cloak before sheathing it. A wave of nausea washed over me. I had killed. I had broken my Hippocratic oath. Abigail was alive. Coat must have taken the brand. I looked down to see the axe blade had shattered into several pieces with the impact. It should have severed her spine. This was some exceptional armor. Are you two all in one piece? White called as he stalked over to our regrouped unit, or what survived of us. Four of Wilson's men had fallen, three from Silent Company, and another four of White's troops looked as though they might not last the night. I checked over their wounds. Put pressure on this one. Tie around his thigh with your neckerchief. Keep that arm elevated. We have to get them back to base camp. Do we have stretchers? Nothing like that to hand, said Wilson grimly, supporting one of the explorers as she bit back the pain. But we're all done here for good. Let's pull out. White led the way. Lee, mercifully unharmed, followed him, while Abigail drew me back behind the remainder of Silent Company as we marched. Remember that fucker who stabbed me in the side? Yes, let me see. That's just it. There's nothing to see. She swept aside her coat and tapped her shirt under there, then indicated the ragged hole where a blade had passed between two overlapping stone spring plates. I felt the point of that knife. I felt that maniac's weight and strength. I should be bleeding like a stuck pig right about now. What stopped the blade then? At this, Abigail's visible eye widened as she patted herself and flexed her fingers within her mittens, shaking. I felt like I was sneezing. Whole body jerked. Kind of like... She blushed shyly, which was not something I was used to seeing. It was kind of like climaxing, involuntarily. Just less fun. More shocking. And the same thing happened when that bearded bastard hit me in the back. Only way bigger this time. The blue orb. My mouth hung open. As we drew through the forest towards the fires, and hopefully some medical assistance, she looked me in the eye and mouthed clearly. Don't tell White yet. Back at the encampment, we retired for the night, and Abigail and I were bivouacked in Commander Wilson's tent. He dutifully signed her handbook, while commenting that he didn't actually feature in the first edition. Abigail took the precious tome back and blew gently on the ink. I expect you were attacked by nutters frequently on your journey to Mississippi, Calvin remarked airily, swilling a flask of port in his hand. That whole southern area is rotten with them. We encountered a few sects. Lose anyone dear to you? At this, Wilson's expression was unusually grave. Yes. A captain. And a friend. And a machine of wondrous design that they could not comprehend. They're certainly accomplished at ruining things. He fixed Abigail with a hard stare. I saw you get stabbed, girlie. Took an axe to the back as well. What's your magic? We both blinked at this. 
He had said it so glibly, like he encountered miraculous individuals every week. Perhaps he did. I don't know yet. A few days ago, we and our former traveling companions got together for a bit of a reunion. And I brought along a package I'd been sent. There was a box inside. And an orb. Like the kind you found in that old house? Yeah. How did you know? I have a friend in Washington who keeps me up to date on all the strangeness. Read your report about what happened in West Virginia and the encounter that gave you those queer eyes. One house point to me, I suppose. So, did you both share the spoil, same as last time? No. He was too chicken shit to touch it, so I got the whole thing. I was not chicken's shit. I was sensible and judged the situation to be too dangerous with too many unknown variables. You're the one who was, and might I add, always have been, too hasty for your own good. You endangered us all with your eagerness to believe that what we'd been sent would be of benefit. And here I am. Abigail sat back, hooking a finger under the flap of her coat and parting it once again to reveal the undamaged shirt. Breathing all comfortable-like. Instead of bleeding out while you beat yourself up again. A cold silence stretched between us as I glared at her. That was uncalled for, I said eventually, attempting to hide the shake in my voice. But you are correct. It saved your life. For the time being. thing I'm interested in is what the extent of this endowment is. Abigail went on, more excitable now. The coldness dissipated. Far as I can tell... There was some kind of force that came out of me, stopped the knife blade, and repelled all the serious damage the axe had to offer. I think we're looking at a shield. Some kind of personal protection bubble. Not a bubble. The weapons got too close. More like a a thin but very strong layer of armor. In fact... She stood up and removed her coat. Let's test this thing. Throw something small at me. There was a pause, and Wilson reached across to a stack of storage chests, flipped the lid on one, and retrieved a hard, dark brown leather ball. Been teaching the boys cricket. Where would you like this thrown? Start with my shoulder. The ball was flung quite hard across the tent, and as it impacted, there was another small, glowing, whitish-blue flash. (coughs) It bounced off lightly and landed in a pile of furs. Did that register? I felt it. Abigail bent to pick up the ball and hefted it in her hand, assessing the weight. But this should have hurt me a lot more. Try throwing it at my back. The testing went on. The cricket ball got knocked all around the tent, narrowly missing me several times, shattering an earthenware pot balanced on a camping table. Most areas of Abigail's body were trialed, and all repelled the incoming force with a firm resistance. Now let's try a blade. There was a palpable sensation that our curiosity was pulling the three of us over a line. Be careful. I will be. Just go to cut my forearm with that scimitar you got there. That, madam, is a cookery knife, gifted to me by the Gurkha in Nepal. Looks too big for the way I cook. Cookery. Wilson enunciated irritably, but he unsheathed the fearsome-looking weapon and made towards Abigail, who flinched involuntarily. I'm just going to attempt a thin cut along the skin. I won't put any real pressure on it. He reassured her. Abigail glanced at me. You ready to stitch me up if this doesn't work, Doc? Sat with my head slumped into my left hand, I held up my medical bag. 
as much as I disapproved, she was right. This ability necessitated testing. Wilson made his cut, and Abigail instinctively drew her arm back, clutching at it. And how did that feel? Are you bleeding? She shook her head and glanced at her undamaged skin. It tickled. Try harder. Within a minute, Wilson was hacking at her limbs and jabbing at her joints. It looks as though you're feeling it. It's like being poked at by a fat finger. It's not a nice sensation at all, but I'm surviving and I still ain't cut. Are you controlling this consciously? No, it's just happening. And what if you did try to control it consciously? This stopped all of us in thought. Come at me. I'm going to try to knock the knife out of your hand. Wilson obliged, and two things happened very fast. He lunged in, and Abigail batted his knife hand to the side with her wrist, and an explosive flash of that blue-white light. The blade sailed away from him, knocking over a picture frame as it embedded itself in the larger of the chests, not too far from my own. I stood and moved away from it. I'm sorry, James, that was horribly aimed. I'm all right, just uncertain as to how to incorporate all of this. Abigail's knees began to tremble and she slumped down. It just hit you, didn't it? I recognised the same signs of exhaustion that I exhibited after the ordeal of opening a wind door. Oh, Jesus, yes. I'm now very tired and ravenous. Reach into that coat pocket over beside you, indicated Wilson. Abigail did and pulled out a rectangular paper packet. On unwrapping it, she found a thick white slab. I make it myself from boiled compacted sugar and peppermint oil. Should give you a little bit of a boost. I call it the Calvin Mint Cake. May I have some? I inquired, smelling the sharp peppermint from over where I sat. Abigail tossed me a hunk and began to demolish the rest, as Wilson, still flexing his stinging fingers, went and retrieved the weapon, inspecting the newly sliced hole in his luggage. Are you going to... Are you going to cut yourself before you sheath it? I ventured, now chewing away at the minty treat. So that it has drawn blood. I'd been waiting since I saw the beautifully crafted blade to ask that question. In answer, Wilson sheathed it and frowned at me. What absolute bobbins. You go around cutting yourself in the Indian jungle, you've then got infected wounds to contend with as well. Aren't you a doctor? I read that in a book. I read a lot of things in books. I've written a few myself. A great deal of it is naught but entertaining Tommy rot. He went to pick up the picture frame, which had a crack in it now. His frown deepened. But admittedly, over my long years, I've probably held on to more of the nonsense than the facts. She's a very striking woman. That your wife? No, Mortimer was my sister. He placed the frame upright again. She may still be. Commander, I said gravely, can we ask you to keep this endowment under wraps until such time as we reveal it ourselves? Yes. He replied, draining his glass of port. I can find it under nonsense.
I awoke that night with a gasp, feeling knives dig into my side. The tent was cold and dimly lit, but I was still warm and toasty within my sleeping bag. Across from me, on a traveling cot, nestled in his own warmth, James slept soundly the way the lucky bastard always did. I checked my watch. It was 3 a.m. Too early to get up, too late to still be awake. The witching hour. I did what I always do and flung into wakefulness like that. I searched my surroundings for visitors, looking for shapes and shades. Sometimes figures would dwell nearby in the night. I could never speak to them, or at least they would never respond. But they reminded me of Charlotte, the ghost of the former wife of Professor Krieger, and I suppose the wife of Greta, too. That sense of their watching eyes was the same, and that hunger for attention. Thinking of them brought my mind to the answers I wanted regarding what James and I could do. And that always led to me quietly reaching out and looking for new doorways. In the months since the Steamheart expedition ended, I'd seen these dots of light come and go occasionally in the periphery of my starlit vision. Officially speaking, there were supposed to be only four doors left in the world. Three, now that this one in Canada was gone. The one in Egypt, the big one in London, and the back door to Rama in West Virginia. But in recent weeks, I'd seen another. Green, like the London door. And beyond that, the tiny winking lights of still more. When I slept in Washington and traveled the Virginias, these were to my west. Now they were arranged far south of where I currently lay. As far as I knew, the only people capable of opening those doors were Greta and the doctor who slept nearby right now. But Greta hadn't shut this door behind her, nor any of the others. And if she had the same powers as I did, then she would surely know I could see them. This, as any aspiring adventurer will tell you, is what we call a breadcrumb trail. I curled my toes with excitement at the thought of being able to meet these two again and ask them everything that burned at me. But I knew if I was going to have the strength for that, I'm asleep now closed my eyes and tried to relax my body. James shifted on his cot and began to snore. A guttural, pig-like death rattle clattered around our tent. My eyes flicked open in the dark and I gritted my teeth.
You have been listening to episode three of Uncivil Outlaw, New Developments, written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Captain Abigail Gray and Agent Lee Ying Long, performed by Sharon Shaw. Dr. James Penrose and Mr. White, performed by Alex Shaw. Commander Calvin Wilson, performed by Matt Ramsey. Judith, performed by Maya Santandrea. And Judah, performed by Blaine Stewart. Stormfront, Past the Edge, Thunder Dreams, Dance of Questionable Tuning, and Infidos, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Uncivil Outlaw Theme, True Greatness, performed by Bjorn Lynn of Shockwave Sound. Many Soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our $15 supporters get credit every episode, so thank you too. Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Sabard, Michael Hasco, Trey Contreras, Matthew Webb, Connor Kennedy, Angus Lee, Marty Hui, David Sheely, Kevin Vey, Daniel Salguero, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, Johan Clayson, Tyler Long, Joe Gasiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosensky, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dashler, Frankie Punzi, and Lorraine Chesham. And you can support us simply by leaving an enthusiastic iTunes or Amazon review. The novel of Uncivil Outlaw is available in Kindle and paperback form. And if you're a fan of the New Century Multiverse, you will definitely want to check out Through the Wind Door. The first discussion podcast covering each story in turn, hosted and produced entirely independently by Greg Downing and Toby Jungius. And you can find that on iTunes and wherever else you find podcasts.